So I, I said to my wife, Chan, I really want to go simple um, just to take our backpacks. And so <laughs> after a, a moment of silence, which I'm used to in church, she said, so let me get this straight. You want me to pack for three and a half months in just a backpack? And I said, yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> and I know that my wife loves me because uh, she agreed to that. And so our plane landed in Barcelona on July the 1st. Unfortunately, our baggage didn't. <laughs> we went down to the baggage claim area in the Barcelona airport, and it was total chaos. I opted not to try to describe it to you because... I only have a certain amount of time before we need to get to Sunday school and other things, but I'm sure it'll surface um, the stories of, of that space. All the while, uh, our bags were maybe floating blissfully somewhere in Canada. <laughs> some people have their wits about them, and they'll carry with them some essentials, you know, like toothpaste or an extra change of clothes or two. <laughs> um, so for the better part of a week, uh, Chan and I managed with what we had, mostly on our backs. And what we discovered was that it was enough. Went for a hike yesterday with my, my dad and my son Ross uh, to Rattlesnake Lodge. You know, to, it's, it's the color weekend or one of them, and so I've missed that. And um, as we were going, my dad asked me, it's just a classic Don Terman question. I was in the back, Dad was in the middle, and Ross was leading us at a good clip uh, up the mountain, and my dad was like, so what was the greatest spiritual lesson for you on your journey? And I had to think about that for a little bit, and I said, well, well Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm still processing that. But hands down, it's those things that are related to what happens when you lose your baggage. Now, we start a, a, a new worship series today. Um, it's our commitment series. It's our stewardship series. Um, but it's a series about our faith and about what we believe. Credo, which is uh, another word for creed, uh, which is um, a, a guiding principle or a belief, and especially in our more traditional service, but it happens here uh, often enough that you know, um, we recite together on a regular basis both ancient creeds and, and modern creeds. It matters what we believe. I think it matters what we believe um, because it matters what we do. And so my question for us to, to begin to ponder and wrestle with starting today for the next six weeks as we, for the most part, follow along with the Apostles' Creed. Does the creed that passes through our lips produce in us a faith that is alive? A faith that will move things and that will change things. Now I've been watching things from a distance for three and a half months. And I've seen what you've seen. A world at war, not just in Ukraine. A world, uh, not just the United States, that's 
politically divided and, and polarized and experiencing the, the consequences of, of such things. A world that's being crushed by hurricanes and famine and gunfire. I watch and I'm inspired by those protesting for freedom in Iran, especially the women. And then I watch in horror as the regime responds um, with violence and with, with bloodshed and death. And it's not lost on me. And, and I would argue that uh, their actions emerge from their creeds. There's a lot of things that um, we can add to that list that are, that are closer to home. Maybe even uh, very deep and personal that only we know about uh, the turbulence, the fear, the, the pain. Uh, even watching, uh, as we have been for a long time now, our great denomination, it feels like it's just, it's just crumbling before our eyes. And, you know, the best laid plans of, of how we can move forward as United Methodists uh, peacefully and with wisdom, um, we're still trying to find that and, and, and grab hold of that. That's a part of it, too. And, and so, it's just very clear that it matters what we believe. The world needs us, the people of God, to live well, to live good days. So, uh, John Wesley uh, preached us a, a, a sermon um, on the death of George Whitfield, who uh, was a colleague and, and, and friend of his. Uh, this was in 1770. And, and he, uh, he said some things in that sermon that I think are really important, and I want to re read you that quote, because in these six weeks, I, I want us to, to not only think about the classic theology that Christian people carry, um, but also the, our United Methodist take on that. I think in this season when the United Methodist Church is trying to find its way, it's important for us to know what United Methodists believe and what are United Methodist practices, um, because that's who we are. So... Or at least that's who we're, we're trying to be or, or struggling to figure out who we are. You know, there's all that. But this is, what, this is what Wesley says. Keep close to the grand scriptural doctrines. There are many doctrines of a less essential nature with regard to which even the sincere children of God are and have been divided for many ages. In these we may think and let think. We may agree to disagree but meantime, let us hold fast to the essentials of the faith, which was once delivered to the saints. And that's what we're going to try to grab hold of in these weeks. And so for today, we have the very small topic of God. <laughs> and what, 10 more minutes, 15 more minutes to, to, to get at that. It matters what we believe about God. And, and I know that there are some of you that I've not met yet. There are some of you that are of different faith traditions, maybe not even Christian. You're curious, um, and, and you're here. You want to know God and, and to experience God. Um, and so I, I want to share with you um, what, what United Methodists put in print about our faith in God. This is what we believe about God. It's from the Articles of Religion way back uh, when, when Methodism started hundreds of years ago. Of faith in the Holy Trinity. There is but one living and true God, everlasting, without body or parts, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness. 
the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. And in unity of the Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. If you're like me, you've noticed throughout your life journey that the world is curious about God. It absolutely uh, fascinates me. It amazes me to see that maybe without exception, you, you can let me know if I've got this wrong. Every civilization and every culture that has ever existed from the beginning of time has wrestled with the God question and has emerged with a creed that guides life for that civilization. Now, our text from Isaiah 55, I think, is critically important for this subject. It speaks of this curiosity, this wrestling with God. Who is God, and what does that mean for me, and what difference does that make from my life? And so when you, um, I I don't know if we have it printed in front of you or if you have your Bible, um, it's a good one to, to, to sit with early in the morning and read it and then read it again and then do the same thing the next day. But when we look at it, we, this is what we see. God says, Hear, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Listen carefully to me. Incline your ear and come and listen so that you may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call upon God while God is near. Now, I'm convinced that we will not have a true understanding of God. Our creed will not be accurate unless we accept this invitation. Now, my show and tell for today are these prayer beads. I got these prayer beads about uh, three years ago uh, when my wife Chan and I visited our oldest son, Ben, uh, who was in China. And um, we got him at an interesting place. He took us to visit a monastery um, in Labrang, which is kind of a a Tibetan region that China is claiming. And one of the largest Tibetan Buddhist monasteries is in Labrang. Uh, 4,000 monks at one time uh, were, were in this place. It was January, it was as, as bitter cold as I ever re- remember, bitter cold. Um, anyway, uh, a, a little gift shop outside of the, uh, of the monastery uh, were selling these things. I was fascinated by the pilgrims who came, by their dedication to everyone wearing these things, everyone spinning the prayer wheels, uh, some of them falling prostrate on the ground, s- encircling the walls of, of this monastery, uh, so um, I, I wanted some prayer beads, and, and I got some um, for us, and that was, we decided that would be a good Christmas present, uh, just a small present to give to the staff. Took the prayer beads on the sabbatical. And I took the prayer beads, Chan and I took our prayer beads on the sabbatical because um, when it comes to this business of seeking God and finding God, prayer is the primary discipline. 
when we talk about what our practice needs to be in order to get at this thing, um, there's nothing greater than the practice of prayer. It's also probably one of the most difficult things that we try to do. It's a very mysterious thing, and there's about a, a million books on how to do it. Um, but we carried these things and, uh, into sacred places, and I would, I would get them and just kind of wrap them like this and just wear them, and it, da- it dangles. Uh, there's a little fish there, and I like that symbol. And so we would go into places like the, the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, uh, we took a trip to um, uh, an hour out of the city to Montserrat and the monastery there and uh, uh, the little church that was dug into the rock after a, a, a long trail where you passed the stations of the cross and um, then, then the, the, the big church that has lots of history that I'm sure I'll be talking about along the way. And we would sit, every sacred place that we would go, every cathedral, and um, whenever there was... Uh, a, a candle available, you would pay a euro and you would, would light a candle and um, we would sit in, in these sometimes amazing majestic places and we, w- we would pray. Uh, we, w- we would take the prayer beads and I would unfurl them and uh, we had our own little system with these, the representation of you know, our kids and um, their significant others and, and our brothers and our families and, and then we carried our prayers to our, our friends and our our colleagues and uh, my prayers every single time were for you and some of you before I left I promised I would pray for you and I was faithful to do that and we would light a candle and we would just sit in these sacred places we went to the cathedral the Barcelona cathedral and this was the 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 beginning of our trip and um, it was on the Sunday and and so they were uh, they were having um, Catholic mass and, and we're, we're sitting there, and I really wanted to, to celebrate communion, but I also knew and deeply respect the Catholic tradition, which is if, if I'm not a Catholic, then uh, I can receive a blessing from the priest, but I'm not allowed or, uh, you know, to, to partake. And I get it. And um, I live out my faith slightly, a, a bit differently, but um, the idea is, because some churches believe that the, the bread and the, and the wine actually become, physically becomes the body and blood of Christ. So it's a very important thing for them that you need to understand what you're doing. You can't just blindly um, come up and do this. So I was, I, was in, uh, I was struggling in the pew because my heart was aching for this experience and... and um, so there's a little bit of rebel in me, and I leaned over to Chan and I said, we're going in. <laughs> and so, you know, we approached the priest, and my, my prayer beads are dangling. And Chan noticed the priest noticing me, and I felt his eyes as I was walking away. There was no juice involved this time because of COVID, but I received the bread, and I put it in my mouth, and I was afraid going back to my pew. Like, are, are, is there something about these beads that makes them Buddhist? Or are they just beads like, you know, what I thought they were? Or did he know? Did he know I was being sneaky? Um, I was just hungry. And God met us in, in places just like that. From the Pyrenees Mountains. Um, anyway, I, I made a long, long list. We were in Hawaii with our kids. My dad wanted to go to a Methodist church. That's, that was an, another uh, breakaway part of this sabbatical. Our whole family was there, 
And my dad, wherever we are in the world, we're going to church on Sunday, and that's great. that was great with me. And we found a Methodist church in Kauai, and we think they were Methodist and something else, and the prayer beads went there, and um, there was a sacred Hawaiian site, and the prayer beads went there. We found ourselves uh, on the streets of ancient Rome and Ephesus, where the stories of my faith unfolded. And so to be walking on these marble stones, knowing probably, certainly, that, that the Apostle Paul had been there and, and seeing those spaces, um, it, was, it was phenomenal and, and it was life-changing. We uh, were in Istanbul and we went to the famous Blue Mosque. And so the Muslims are going for the hour of prayer, and we stood with these prayer beads, quietly praying to Christ. Our text from Isaiah also speaks about what happens when we seek and when we find God. God will show mercy. God will abundantly pardon. God will speak a word that's like the rain and the snow coming down from heaven, watering the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, a word that will send us out in joy and lead us back in peace. I got to film Michael's children's sermon, and as we were standing out front, and he, he was talking about the rain, it's like it's, it's true. When God's rain comes, when God's rain washes over us, we're not the same. We come away from that. We come away from that different, and, and uh, we're changed. And I know this to be true. Uh, and, and when it happens, the creed that my parents faithfully taught me, the faith that began to shape in my little second-grade life, in that Sunday school room in the damp basement of Martin's Chapel United Methodist Church, that creed and that faith becomes real. It's not just here anymore. It becomes a part of who I am. I am changed. And uh, the immediate impact of the fact that I am changed when I find myself in the presence of God is that the world around me is changed. So when we're talking about who God is, which we'll be doing throughout this, this whole time, I guess which we do every week in our life together, uh, we know that God is love. Uh, there's a, a book by Bishop Will Willimon called This We Believe. And he, he, he talks about uh, John Wesley. Um, and I just want to read a couple of things here because I think it's, it's very important. And to me, it's, it's what I love about being United Methodist. Um, God's chief characteristic, even more than power, justice, or righteousness, is active, initiating seeking love. It wasn't so much that Wesley affirmed that God is love. Any number of Christian traditions do the same. It was that Wesley relentlessly repeated that God's love evokes our love. God's love evokes, enables, and even requires our response. And love expresses itself. 
Love speaks. And what I've learned along my journey, and you've heard me say before, is that God will speak a language that we understand, or at least we'll eventually understand it. So uh, prayer is not only expressing our thoughts to God. That's really the easy part. Uh, It's also uh, this invitation from Isaiah. It's listening for God's thoughts. It's hearing God's voice. And and we will not only uh, hear this this language of love, um, that love will guide us. I think especially when things become difficult and confusing and we're trying to make our way. And when is that ever not the case? So we're walking down uh, this narrow street in Marseille, France, and we're looking for the, the tourist office because we want to buy a bus ticket. And I had to go. I mean, like, I had to go as bad as any person has to go. <laughs> like, you know what I'm talking about. So the young woman, um, after she showed us the ticket, she says, yes, the public toilet is just around the corner and, and you can't miss it. I was like, great. I was like, Chan, I'll meet you there. So um, I, I'm running uh, in that direction and I see it. But it wasn't like any public toilet I had ever seen in my life. It was this large silver box, um, just kind of right in the middle. And it was wider than a sidewalk. It was almost just like a, uh, a concrete plaza. And, you know, I could see the, the little image, WC, uh, and the little image of the woman and the, um, and the man, and so I knew that this was a toilet for everyone, but it looked like this elevator, like that maybe that was something that you would get in to go down to the metro or to, to some parking deck. And, you know, Murphy's Law is always in effect, even on the other side of the world. I'm just about to get to, to this strange-looking public toilet, and some guy runs in before me. And so, uh, finally he comes out, and, and I go in, and it's, and it's this really delightful place. Um, and so, I'm there, and all of a sudden, this loud woman's voice comes over the speakers, and she's speaking in French, making some kind of announcement. Well, I don't understand French, uh, so I had no idea uh, what, what she was saying. And then almost immediately, these yellow lights start flashing along the, the top of the ceiling. The toilet starts retracting into the wall. <laughs> it felt like the room was tilting a little bit. <laughs> Have you all ever experienced this? <laughs> Water starts gushing out of one end of, of this uh, public toilet. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. And I I learned that this toilet is also very soundproof. I've got one foot on the sink, another foot on the handrail. I really thought, it was like in the Star Wars movie, that the the walls are going to close in on me. This was all happening in a matter of seconds. I had no idea what was going on. So finally, to save my own life, I jumped into the water, which was now about three or four inches deep, I forced the door open and got out of there with my life. Standing there on the other side is Chan, quietly waiting for her turn. And I'm like, honey, it's a bad idea. (laughs) And as we're walking away uh, in a a much uh, more 
quiet and slow pace. I saw it. I saw the sign in English, in a language that I understand. I was just too busy and hurried before. The toilet or the WC will clean itself after every two people. And so I understood what was going on. Prayer was a critical discipline for Wesley and those early Methodists. And it remains the same for us. If I want you to take anything away uh, from the things that I've said, it would be this. It would be what God said through Isaiah. Hear everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. Listen carefully to me. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You know, in answer to my God's question, uh, to my God's question, to my dad's question about uh, the lessons that I have learned from God, when we lose the baggage and when we slow down long enough to listen, we'll know that we are loved and we'll understand the language of the one who is calling us to do the same. I got an email a couple of weeks ago from my Aunt Yvonne in Kentucky, Lexington. She lives outside of Lexington. My Aunt Juanita, her younger sister, these are my mom's sisters, uh, is not doing well. And my cousin Derek posted that um, you know, hospice is coming in, and so we don't know exactly what's ahead. Aunt Juanita was just one of the toughest fireball uh, people I've ever met in my life. But at the end of my Aunt Yvonne's um, email, and obviously I'm feeling a little emotional because we're a close family, uh, she invited us to remember that we have been loved with an everlasting love. And she was quoting a scripture, and so I went searching for it. And it's from Jeremiah 31. And, and I just want to end with this. This is another one that you can sit with, and whether you're a, a quiet hours of the morning, I'm up at 2.30 now, wide awake every morning. <laughs> or if it's in the evening, as you uh, settle in from a, a day, uh, to just read these words. It's entitled, The Joyful Return of the Exiles. Um, listen to them. Find yourself in them. That's what happens when we read the scriptures in a spirit of, of quiet prayer, is God will meet us there. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when sentinels will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God.
That's where I'm going. And I invite you to come with me. Amen.